The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Sean Korn, is an internationally acclaimed yoga teacher who's been featured in over 50 print and broadcast media channels, including The Today Show, Yoga Journal, and Mantra Magazine. She's also the founder of Off the Mat, Into the World, a collective of yogis, educators, and activists working with global and local leaders to promote grassroots change through self-awareness. Sean is the author of a three-DVD set called Yoga of Awakening, and a new book called Revolution of the Soul, Awaken to Love Through Raw Truth, Radical Healing, and Conscious Action. Both of those are from Sounds True. So, Sean Korn, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. This is going to be a very interesting conversation. You know, there is so much in this book, Revolution of the Soul, that I think we can just get overwhelmed in the amount of time we have to talk. So I want to do an odd thing. I want to begin our conversation where you end the book. So you can set this up for you, but I'm going to ask you to read literally the closing sentence of the book. Yeah, you absolutely got it. Well, this, the, the story itself is, it kind of ties up the entire book actually in a, in a singular paragraph. And what this was, my father, um, who was also a yoga teacher, I became a yoga teacher before him. And um, actually, when I became a yoga teacher, I, I was the butt of every joke you can imagine. This was back in in the 90s when I first became a teacher. And um, at that time, people, it wasn't mainstream in the way that it is today. And I come from northern New Jersey um, to a real no-nonsense kind of family. And so any opportunity my, that my family had to make jokes about what I was doing, they did. And the irony is, years later, my father, who just paid attention, realized one consistent thing about my attitude, and that was that I was happy. I was consistently happy. And he one day decided to see what this whole yoga thing was all about, tried it, fell in love with it, and started studying and eventually became a yoga teacher. How old was he when he did that? Uh, my father started practicing yoga at 50, became a yoga teacher uh, at around 57. And How old was he when he passed away? 67. 
Okay. So he was teaching for 10 years. Yeah, more or less. And um, so my father, our relationship was very bonded because of this practice. And there was a lot of depth in our dialogue. And now granted, my father was also, you know, a a typical Jersey dude, very straightforward. Um, Like I said, no nonsense. So my father was diagnosed with cancer uh, at around the same time that he, um, at around 60, actually. And he was uh, sentenced to death. He had only four months left to live. And uh, it was kidney cancer. And because of my father's flexibility, they were actually able to rif- lift up my father's rib cage and cut out one of his kidneys. And um, normally they have to break through the ribs. And they were amazed at my father's um, resiliency. And he was convinced it was because of the practice. And he was also convinced that he could survive kidney cancer, even though it was terminal. So they gave him four months to live, and my father ended up living uh, about seven or eight years past that date and did everything experimental that you could possibly imagine. And um, we used to call him cockroach daddy because nothing could kill him. And then one day um, there were no more trials and there were no more experiments and no more medicine and nothing was working anymore. And they told him that he had to prepare to die. And so... He came home and I remember him saying to me, well, I'm not cockroach daddy anymore. I'm cadaver, cadaver daddy now. And we both started laughing and because um, my father was just kind of, he had a you know dark, dark humor. And uh, we both started laughing until we just couldn't. And uh, we realized the, the permanence of what was about to happen. The next morning, my dad woke me up and he said, uh, like it's super early in the morning. And he said, get out of bed. I want to go for a walk with my daughter. I want to talk to you. And my uh, father brings me down to the lake and the sun is rising up over the lake. And we're both just watching it. And my dad says to me, let me tell you a little something about life. He said, it'll f*** you in the And when I went to protest, he then grabs me and he pulls me into his chest. And he said, but it'll also give you this daughter to hold. And it'll give you this sunrise and it'll give you more beauty than any one of us ever deserve. He said, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, this next part's going to get really tough. He said, it's going to break your heart. Let it, let it crack you wide open. Feel all of it. Don't miss a moment because he said, and I remember him turning me around so that I could look directly at him. He said, for you to hurt this bad means that you got to love that big. And if that's all you get in a single lifetime, you are more than blessed. And then he said, and this is this part I'll read from the book. This is the very last paragraph. Um, so he says, he, so he, he leaned down and kissed me and then said, one day, if you ever write a book, tell them you got this from your dying dad. Love big, forgive always, do good, and don't be an asshole. That's yoga. That's a life well lived. It's really that simple. End of story. And that was... Really, the I would have to say the inspiration for my writing this book was that last line: um, "Do good or love big, do good, forgive always, and don't be an asshole." Actually, that's not the right order. It's uh, but we we love, get it. It's a good it's it. a good it's a good motto. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You know, I I love this idea of you know letting letting the reality that he was going through and that what you're going through you know in, in your own way is dealing with with his dying and then with the grief that comes with both dying and then his actual death he says 
let it crack you wide open. Yeah. And, and it occurred to me when you just said that, and I'm asking for your opinion on this, isn't that what yoga does? Yes. It sort of is cracks it? you wide open. Well, literally, what it does is by expanding the musculature and creating space within the cellular tissue and even in the energetic body, it releases both physiological as well as the emotional toxins that reside in the body that keep us contracted and compressed. And it's that contraction, a, a sensation we're actually addicted to uh, individually and as a society that keeps us reactive. So when you breathe and move and you stimulate the energy, it literally expands that coagulation and allows you to experience yourself in a way that's more vulnerable, not vulnerable as a weakness, but vulnerable as, um, as, a, as, a, as a state of being that allows for more availability emotionally. Um, so it gets you out of your head and drops you more into your heart. And that's where we can access a relationship with God. And so, yeah, yoga cracks you open. Okay, I'm going to have to ask you about God in a second. But mm-hmm. when, when I, well, when I, I guess when I read yoga journal, I don't mean to pick on a specific magazine, but when I read yoga magazines or talk to my friends who are into yoga, the last thing that I get, especially from people I know, is that yoga is about cracking you open, you know, expanding your heart. It's, most of the people I know are doing it to look better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a physical thing. And, and I get a sense that in America, maybe this is true worldwide, though I want to believe it's different in India. Uh, I get a sense that in America, whether we're talking about meditation or we're talking about yoga or Qigong or Tai Chi, we always turn it into some self-help thing. Whereas I got the impression from your book, Revolution of the Soul, that we're talking about a self-transformation thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're in agreement with that. Tie that into God for me. Well, well, first what I'll say is that what I believe in the practice of yoga is it meets you where you're at. And for some people, it, it has to begin in the body um, because of the relationship with the body, because of their ego, because of so many different reasons. Like for me, I didn't have an emotional experience of yoga for probably seven years of doing hardcore asana. And it, it often has to do with trauma, um, personal trauma, cultural trauma, historical trauma, ancestral trauma that lives within the body that creates this armor of protection around you so that it's not safe to actually release the tension. The tension becomes the way in which we actually anesthetize ourselves from our pain and from our suffering. And so when you first start doing yoga, it's your yoga just kind of meets you in your body. You feel a little bit better. You start to make maybe in time some healthier choices. Maybe you quit smoking, drinking, um, you know, eating foods that aren't necessarily good for you. And as the, the, the layers of tension start to chip away and your nervous system becomes more uh, uh, regulated, in time, there can be, not always, but there can be a shift. And it's that emotional shift where the emotions that have been trapped within that tension arise. And that's this whole other level. And it's not until you can get to that level that you can really begin to open spiritually because spirituality is a felt experience. It's not theoretical necessarily because if we approach it intellectually, we're limited by our five sense reality. It's only through our emotions that we can begin to transcend the intellect and it becomes this felt experience. And 
the closest that we can get to really understanding and defining God is through love. And our emotions is what opens us through surrender to the experience of love and then therefore to an experience of God, a God within. And yoga can do that, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily happen. For some, it happens the first class, but it you have to, as a teacher, I have to not project onto the student where I think that they should be in their path. All I do is to create the environment for transformation to happen, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. And all I am is a bridge that delivers them to the next teacher and to the next part of their awakening, whatever that might be. But the timeline for that awakening is between each person and the God of their own understanding. And so I just got to stay on my side of the street. So I believe that yoga is a magical, magic with a K, magic um, as alchemy, as transformational. Um, I believe that that's, that alchemy happens uh, in time with patience and uh, with a lot of self-acceptance. And so I, I have a lot of confidence in the practice of yoga. And I, I think it's amazing that it's in the gyms and it's in the most unlikeliest of places because I don't know when it happens. I don't know if it's, if it's like I said, one class or a hundred classes for that person to, to go right up against their own heart. I just hope I'm there to bear witness to that moment of transformation because I know their life will never be the same. So you're much more forgiving than I am about, <laughs> about different yoga things, but, uh, and, yeah. I, and I appreciate that. You know, in the mid-90s, you're studying with a yogi, and I'm... Patabi Joyce, I imagine you're talking about. No, Gurmukh. Oh, Gurmukh. Yes, yeah. Gurmukh. So I was really taken. You're in a class with him, and you'll tell us about him in a moment. Her. Her. Gurmukh. Sorry. Her. Yeah. You'll okay. tell us about her in a moment. And then she asked the class what they're feeling at the moment. Yeah. And then you felt yourself inwardly shout, God. Yeah. Which I just thought was amazing. And now I know what you mean by God. So love. But of course, when most of us hear the word love, we're going to think all the wrong things, you know, yeah. romance and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so my guess is, well, I want you to tell us about um, Gurmukh, but I also want to explore love with you too. Because I, I get a sense, and you can correct me if this is not what you mean, when I'm listening to you say that, I'm hearing you say absolute relationship with the universe. Yes. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, not romantic love. You see, 
it's in the practice of yoga, you've, there's these eight, there's these eight limbs and the final limb is samadhi, which is liberation or bliss or enlightenment. And over the years, people have asked me to define that. And I realized I, I can't because I'm, because A, I've never experienced it and because I'm limited by my five sense reality. And so I realized the closest that I can get in my limited vocabulary and experience is truth and love. But even in that, I'm wrong. Even in that, I'm limited because my understanding of love is still familial. It's still romantic. And yet the essence of it is as close as I can come to understanding that lack of division, that lack of separation, um, that awareness of wholeness. And so I choose to use that language to suggest that God is that which exists within that's of truth and love and that which exists within exists within all. And that this truth and love, this God is not something we seek. It's what we awaken to. It's already within us fully and completely and wholly. And the only thing that blocks us from our capacity to, to connect with the divine is really our ego and our limiting beliefs. So the work that we do in this conscious state is to confront those limiting beliefs, learn from them, see the ways in which they're designed to help our soul mature, and then move sometimes messily, sometimes gracefully towards a higher relationship with ourselves. And when we do, we can't help but see that same self with a capital S in others because yoga teaches, there's no, teaches us there's no separation. And so this is the, the relationship that I have with God. And, but it was hard earned. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I rejected it heartily. Um, I was raised both Catholic. Well, I was raised in a, an agnostic family, but in both a Catholic and Jewish household. And so there was so much information that in many ways were contradictory. And I had a relationship with this patriarchal energy that was felt very judgmental and demeaning and um, punishing. I wasn't interested in that, but love is none of those things. And so I felt like I can get behind that and I can live my life working towards being in relationship to that, whether it's with the planet or animals or other people. And if that's all I get in this lifetime, it like in terms of a relationship with the divine, that ain't so bad. Like if that's what God is and I'm able to live up to that particular ideal, I'd be okay with that. And if it proves to be something else, I'll find out later. But in the meantime, I think that that's something we can all strive for is to love bigger than we ever imagined possible. And as a result, let that God self radiate in all that we do say and create. You know, you the book is, is part memoir, part yoga sutra, you know, teaching us the wisdom of yoga. Uh, plus exercises that you give in the book. And there, there's so much to your story that we just can't get to. Uh, that, but let me, let me just let the listener know that this, there's so much more to what we're hearing, not just the wisdom, but just to hear Sean's story and all, all the people she's met and the, I don't know if you want to say the tragedy you've gone through or, or witnessed or experienced, but your yoga and the wisdom that you're getting from the yoga is really grounded it seems to me, in, I don't want to say tragedy, in suffering in the sense of the Buddha, the, the Buddha spoke, that it's just in, in, in real life. And real life is both on the mat and off the mat, which I want to talk to you about 
with your organization off the mat into the world. But it, real yoga is really real life. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit, though, about um, Gurmukh. Uh, Gurmukh is a teacher of mine and a dear, dear friend who's um, arguably one of the most um, uh, premier teachers of Kundalini yoga throughout the entire world, most certainly in the West. And she, I was working behind the desk at a school called Yoga Works back in the 90s as a receptionist. And Gurumu came in all in white with the turban and so elegant and beautiful. And there was something about her that intrigued me. Um, maybe because it was the first time I had really met a spiritual leader that wasn't a man. And there was something about her presence that I felt um, safe, uh, safe in. And so uh, I eventually I decided to take one of her classes just to see, you know, kind of what that was all about. And in it, now, Kundalini yoga is a very different kind of yoga than I was accustomed to. I was a vinyasa flow power yoga student, so it was very physical, nishtangi, if you will. And Guru Mook does a lot of kriyas, breathing exercises, these, um, these uh, rhythmic arm exercises that are meant to stimulate the currents of energy from within, the more subtle body. I had never done that before, and it's super hard. And it was the first time that... Now, remember, though, I've been doing yoga for eight years, so my body was primed for this level of release that I ended up having in her class. As she traveled through the different chakras, she also was naming the, the different qualities and information that lived in those chakras and the different body parts uh, associated. And this, the deeper I breathed and the more the energy moved through my body. And then she was playing these gongs and the vibration was just resonating through me. I felt myself getting higher and higher in a way I'd never experienced in the other yoga classes that I had taken. And I felt safe enough in my body that I didn't resist it. I just let myself surrender to these, it was really waves of ecstasy. And as she traveled up these channels and it hit me into my third eye, like I just felt everything expand and dissolve. Like I didn't quite know where my body ended and the, the space around me began. It was the most euphoric feeling, um, ecstatic. And then she said to name how you feel. And it wasn't, there was no thought to it. I just felt God and got a real sense of, oh, this is what it is. It is nothing and everything all at once. There's no ego or expectation or time. There was no future or past. There was just presence. And of course, that feeling didn't last, but I had a glimpse for that split second of what was possible, and it opened my heart, and it really propelled me into the next level of my journey, which was looking for a teacher, only to discover that it was always within. And so that's who Guru Mukha is, and she's an incredible teacher still to this day. So she, <clears throat> she is a disciple of Yogi Bhajan. Yes, she is. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I met Yogi Bhajan back in the 70s. Mm. So he was just very powerful presence. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the tradition out of which you're coming. We are running up against the end of our time. And I just want to ask you one question so you can tell us about this other work that you're doing. Tell us about Off the Mat Into the World and how that oh. expresses where you are as a practitioner and teacher of yoga? 
offer that into the world is, like I said, there was this interesting evolution in my practice from the physical to the emotional to the spiritual. And it took many years and a lot of practice um, of just living in the world and embracing the challenges that exist within my own humanity. And really the, the inevitable next step of my practice became about now what? Now that I'm happier and healthier and I have fairly good good tools to regulate my nervous system so that I don't get reactive in crisis and in chaos, what do I do with this? And I know very well from the practice of yoga that my, our liberation is bound and that I can't be free unless we're all free. And so therefore, service became the inevitable next step on the path. Um, and so Off the Mat Into the World is a leadership training organization that bridges the gap between yoga transformational work, social justice, and action. And it trains people within the yoga community to actually, but in a conscious way, go out into the world and go towards where there's imbalance, where there is suffering, where there is oppression, and um, uh, transform it. But we can't dismantle the systems that exist out in the world that create this oppression unless we first dismantle the systems that exist within ourselves. Um, that per- that participate in that oppression. So it's just one more deeper level of yoga that we have to unpack within ourselves. It's very confrontational, um, but it's necessary. Otherwise, um, we will just bypass our, our complicity in the creation of suffering um, and not actually make any change. And Off the Mat Into the World teaches us how to make that inside-out change so it's sustainable. Very powerful stuff. It's... You can't, the revolution we need is not an external revolution. First, mm-hmm. we need that that internal revolution. So absolutely, we are on the same page and your yes. work is just really powerful. Our guest today, Sean Korn, is the founder of Off the Mat Into the World and the author of Revolution of the Soul, Awaken to Love Through Raw Truth, Radical Healing, and Conscious Action. You can learn more about her work at seancorn.com and at offthematintotheworld.org. Sean, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. I'm very, very grateful. And so are we. Thanks. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like the show, I urge you to check out my new podcast, Conversations on the Edge, brought to you by the One River Foundation. Conversations on the Edge features a variety of iconoclasts, apostates, and free thinkers who are trying to change the world for the better. Also, please be sure to rate and review this podcast in iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our executive producer is Ben Nussbaum. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you. 
right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.